Great. Well, I'm very excited today to talk to somebody who's been around education policy for quite a while now, Checker Finn of uh, Fordham Institute and the Hoover Institution at Stanford. Um, you know, you know more than most, you've forgotten more than most people know. Let's just put it that way. But um, I was reading a blog post you had up recently, and it was very, um, it was very germane to what I'm working on right now in Missouri in terms of trying to keep people um, focused on the fact that we ne- we actually need accountability now more than ever. And also because you mentioned a nation at risk and it's coming up on 40 years since a nation at risk was published. Uh, can you believe that? I Sadly, I can believe it. I've lived through those 40 years. Yeah. I think I've been around, I've been around this space almost. Uh, I remember writing something for sure for the 25th anniversary, but it's unbelievable to me because that's like three generations basically of kids going through K-12 and we thought we had learned so much. So give me a little background on what a nation at risk was and what they found. Well, this was an influential national commission during the early Reagan administration, which was essentially given the assignment of reporting on the condition of American education in the early 1980s. Uh, Keep in mind, this was after Uh, The 60s, we had invested federal dollars for the first time in schools. We had also begun to desegregate schools, do a lot of other things like that. The government had grown quite a lot in education in the 60s, and then it continued to grow in the 70s in pursuit of equity in a whole variety of ways. Equity for kids with disabilities, equity for girls, um, more equity for uh, uh, Black and immigrant kids and non-English speaking kids and so forth. So equity was the name of the game in the 70s. But the question by the early 80s was, what about excellence? What about achievement? What about quality? And some of us had begun even before the commission met, frankly, to say we might have a little quality problem here. You know, SAT scores have been declining for 10 years, things like that had already been happening. Uh, So this influential, prominent national commission full of very important people uh, reported in really quite stark terms in 1983 that the country was, educationally speaking, going to hell in a handbasket. That that I think their famous phrase was, if an unfriendly foreign nation had done to us what we have done to ourselves, we would have considered it an act of war. So they didn't mince words. Yes, they didn't mince words. They were really quite quite forceful. And the issue was that kids weren't learning enough. I mean, it was... uh, Uh, quite almost simply that schools were not teaching enough, kids weren't learning enough, the country um, had an achievement problem. And that began a whole era of education reform, uh, which I think had a lot going for it on both the standards and accountability front, which is what you've already started us talking about, but also on other fronts like school choice. Um, But uh, a lot of the energy has recently gone out of the accountability part. What do you think is going on? That is worrying to me. Well, me too. Why do you think that is? I I, I know I can say that in Missouri, there seems to be this um, this prevailing belief that we don't want to upset or hurt kids right now because it's been such a difficult two years. As it was, Missouri had changed their test four times in five years and was about to have one year of longitudinal data. So we have, you know, basically no way of knowing how schools are doing over time. And now it's like, Let's not use the term learn loss. Let's not use test scores, as our commissioner of education said. Let's not use them as the hammer. Let's use them as a flashlight. And we want to keep everybody feeling really, really great, but we're losing ground. 
I mean, Nation at Risk said we were caught up in a rising tide of mediocrity. If that's not happening now, then I must be completely crazy. You're right. Uh, the COVID, uh, the, the pandemic, the school shutdown has, has caused us to lose ground. Almost everybody's lost ground. Uh, and the gaps have gotten wider. So we have both a, a quality problem intensifying as everybody loses ground. We also have an equity problem intensifying um, as the gaps get wider between haves and have nots. Um, I mean, who lost the most during the shutdown? Poor and minority kids. Um, yeah. So uh, it's it's gotten worse on both fronts. So the question is, do you do you reboot and, 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 and buckle down and say, we gotta um, uh, put some traction back into this uh, standards and accountability system? Or do you say, let's be nice, let's use flashlights, let's not use hammers, let's not make anyone upset, let's blah, blah, blah. You know, ultimately, part of what's going on here is it's the adult interests that run the education system. Right. And none of the adults want to be accountable for whether their students are learning anything. And the teachers remain deathly afraid that they're going to be judged by those test scores and that their schools are going to be given, you know, D's and F's by the state because the kids aren't learning enough. Um, and everybody's going to be embarrassed and their jobs might be at risk and they're not going to feel good about themselves, the grownups I'm talking about. That's right. Um, and so the, and, and they've, they've leveraged the war on testing, the anti-testing movement in the country into a, a major ally in this pushback against accountability. Uh, there's no doubt that kids don't love tests, and a lot of parents sort of feel like the tests are not good for their kids' education. Um, but uh, but that really is like shooting the messenger. That really is like saying, if you never get on the scale, you'll have no idea how much you weigh, and therefore you won't have to worry about it. Uh, yeah, I think somebody equated it to like, if I, on the Titanic they'd had a warning light, and when the light started buzzing, if they just took the, the light off, yeah, <laughs> you know light. what I mean? Like, we don't want to know what's going like. That's... Unpl unplug the light, or if you want to put yourself in an equally scary scenario, let's be up in an airplane and say, let's just turn off the radar. Yeah. There might okay. be trouble ahead, but we don't want to know about it. I mean, President Bush said you can't fix what you don't measure. And, you know, I it really worries me because I don't know how much you know about Missouri, but we have never had any rating system for schools, letter grades, colors, stars, none of that. No words, not even accredited or non-accredited for schools. Uh, they used to give out a number between one and a hundred, but it was meaningless because it was yeah. a percentage of points and the denominator on that moved for all different schools. So that was hard to understand for parents. And now they really look to me like they're pushing towards doing nothing. So we had no testing in 1920. We had it in 2021, but they don't want to use it for accountability maybe next year. And, and, you know, kids started kindergarten in 1920, or they started high school in 1920, or third grade and needed to learn to read. And these critical time periods have gone by, and we really don't know how the schools are doing. And for a lot of kids, this is the third disrupted year in a row. Right. Um, as some schools aren't open, other families are keeping their kids home. Um, other kids are, are being sent, but then brought out of, out of school and told to go home and stay home. Uh, the online stuff is still a mess in an awful lot of places, whether you've got a virtual option or not, whether it's any good or not, whether it works for you in your home situation or not. Uh, no, it's for a lot of kids, it's the third year in a row of disrupted schooling. And, and, and let's keep in mind that even before the disruption, the schooling wasn't doing such a great job. So we've now disrupted okay. something that was mediocre already. Um, and 
And when people talk about catching up, all they really ever talking about at best is catching up to where we were before the pandemic. Right. Which one very good. Um, yeah, and, we used to be around 42, I think, percent proficient in math, and now we're 35. And I, I really liked what you said in your article about um, just making moving the goalposts a little bit. Uh, our state board of education at one point was like, you know, why are we talking about proficient all the time? Maybe we should just talk about basic. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and all the numbers look a lot higher. Of course. I mean, if you look at the country and the national assessment data, if you go for proficient in core subjects like reading and math, you get to around 40 percent, um, high 30s, low 40s. If you settle for basic, uh, it's more like 70 percent. And so, of course, it looks better. Uh, by the way, that still leaves 30% of the kids who are not even basic. That's so let's right. Keep, let's keep that in mind. Let's also keep in mind who most of those kids are. That's right. Um, it's kids we're most worried about as a society. But uh, um, the the proficient, I was on the National Assessment Governing Board once upon a time when we set these norms, these, these goalposts. Um, and proficient was defined as the level that everybody is supposed to be at. Um, yeah. It, if you actually want to be functional in the modern world, right. it doesn't mean just rudimentary skills. That would be basic. Uh, yeah. Below basic is illiterate, to use an old-fashioned word. And for uh, a lot of states, Missouri included, uh, our, our, what we call proficient is not nearly as high as what the national maybe. assessment calls yeah. proficient. That has sadly been true all over the place because uh, state leaders, including Missouri, uh, have not had the fortitude to admit how many kids aren't truly proficient. That's right. So these, admittedly, the NAEP proficient is a relatively high bar. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. Um, but uh, if NAEP says 40% of the kids in Missouri are proficient and Missouri says 60% of the kids in Missouri are proficient, you got to explain that difference somehow. That's right. um, so, you know, I'm I'm sort of persona non grata at the state house and in the State Department of Education because I think they should uh, publish in an understandable format for parents how each school is doing. Um, they have been extremely reluctant to do so and absolutely no appetite to do letter grades. So uh, pretty much the Show Me Institute is going to take on that job. And I've been developing a system of grading schools myself, which I, I don't know. It's just based on the test data. It's just based on publicly available data. And it's just grading on a curve by cutting the range into five equal pieces and assigning grades therein. I'm not really, you know, including any judgment in it, but I suspect that it's not going to be very popular with teachers, administrators, or the state board. Um, oh, they're they, really, it, they don't want to see it. Of course, they're going to hate it. You can do it on a curve or you can, or you can do it on a, on a goalpost basis either way. But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of states really do give individual schools ratings or they did before COVID. That's right. Um, the Florida pioneered the A through F system. And Ohio, where we at Fordham do a lot of work, uh, has, is just switching from A to F to five stars okay. um, because the, the letter grades were just too much to swallow for the system, the educators. So somehow they think that getting three stars is better than getting a C. I don't know. Um, it's still pretty, a pretty good way of giving parents something they can relate to, I believe. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, it's really a shame. So in Missouri, they do give a, a word to districts, uh, either accredited, partially accredited or non-accredited, but out of 520 districts, 516 are accredited. So well, there's these four, just... so these 
four poor districts that are not fully accredited. So it's got to, you got to try to, to do that. Um, and even well, those are questionable. So it it's just, like a non-system system. It just proves that accredited doesn't mean much. That's right. That's right. So Can what do you think we should do uh, this spring with standard, with um, with assessments? Well, of course, the fe first of all, the federal law requires them to be administered still. The federal ESSA law requires grades three through eight to give reading and math tests. Uh, they're also going to give NAEP this spring in 20, uh in 22 because they couldn't give it in 21. I mean, they they got they had to change the schedule because right. it was impractical to give it in 21 because uh, not enough kids were in school to get a valid sample. Um, so they're doing it in 22. So of course you should do it in Missouri. Give your your federally required tests. Um, compare your results with the NAEP results for Missouri, which you will get, um, and um, and and see how you're doing. The a, a legitimate question is on the intervention side, the consequences side of accountability. If, 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 if a school is doing poorly in spring 22, do, what do you do about it? Um, do you intervene? Well, Does the state- We have intervene? a lot of money. Give, oh, well, they're getting money anyway. The federal money- yeah, Lots is, of money. Mm -hmm. Federal money is flooding in and they have several years to spend it. That's right. Uh, and I'm not opposed to that, but a lot of schools, my acquaintance are spending it uh, I think I'll say foolishly, mm -hmm. um, mostly to hire additional adults, which is how schools have always spent their extra money. Let's mm -hmm. hire more grownups. Uh, incidentally, that doesn't mean let's let's hire better ones because that might mean paying more to fewer. That's um, right. But, but no, let's hire more body, more adult bodies, um, which is of course in the interests of the unions. It's in the interests of the ed schools. It's in the interest of the HR department. It's in the it, it, parents think it's in their interest too, because parents actually think that the more adult bodies in the school, the better. Um, as opposed to, is this a highly effective teacher with uh, nine-year-olds? Right. Which might be more important than what's the ratio. Yeah. Um, would you rather have a very effective teacher with twenty-eight kids or a very ineffective teacher with twenty-three? That's right. Think about it. And there's other ways they could be spending that money too. Absolutely, including uh, tutors and all kinds of extra help and summer school so that right. kids can go closer to year round and um, gifted programs and, and remedial programs and um, a bunch of other things that kids actually need, including in the COVID era, frankly, the mental health supports and stuff like that, because yeah. a lot of kids are very upset. Yeah. Uh, and that's legitimate too, but you know, just, Going from a, a, a school with a staff of 28 adults to a school with a staff of 34 adults and not changing anything else? That's right. Ah, That's not going to do anything. I know. And parents want tutoring. And parents are worried that their kids are behind. We did a survey of Missouri parents. Yeah. Half of them, they know their kids are probably behind. They've been Many of them have been sitting home. A lot of our kids have moved around like other places. Um, yeah. Three and a half percent or so are missing. Uh, uh, quite a few have pulled out for homeschooling and virtual schooling. So they've moved around. And I, I just think that there's just going to be a lot of finger pointing whenever we do assess kids. It's going to, the teachers are going to think it's the parents fault and the parents think it's the teacher's fault and it's the teachers think it's the principal's. I mean, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and nobody really wanted to step up and say, yeah, you know, we all did this together. We all created not. this situation. Almost nobody ever says it's my fault or it's That's our right. fault. Uh, you're right. Of course you're right about that. Uh, and uh, the moving around 
could turn out to have some long-term benefit for some kids if it's become a form of choice that puts them in a better place than the school they were stuck in. Mm -hmm. And for some, it will. They will have changed to a better school or they will have changed to a decent charter school or private school or a competent homeschooling situation or these new things, these learning pods that some parents have managed to put together. Uh, so it could be better off. Um, but kids being lost entirely, that is really worrying. Yeah, uh, it's happening all over the place, you know. I, that is really worrying. I mean, once upon a time, like when I was young, school systems used to employ people called truant officers. That's right. Yeah. And their job was to track down the kid who wasn't in school. Um, and also the parents, the kid who wasn't in school. That's right. That's right. Uh, I don't seem to do that much anymore. I know. Does it surprise you that almost 40 years after this dire warning of a nation at risk, we've sort of watered stuff down more? I know we were really gung-ho for a while in 2000 and the standards movement and no child left behind. And all of a sudden, did well, the pendulum swing too far or why are we now lowering? Why are we back to the soft big bigotry of low expectations? Well, uh, kind, of missing, uh, kind of misguided equity stuff is part of what's going on here. Um, the, uh, the view that if we measure things, we'll end up either revealing differences that we'd rather keep hidden between kids and groups of kids, or we will in some way embarrass kids or um, make things worse. So that's part of what's going on. Part of what's going on is a kind of loss of leadership. I mean, the edu education reforms yep. that I'm proud of had to do with presidents and governors and um, even some secretaries of education at the national level and some business leaders and some state legislators and others who really um, dug in on this stuff. And, and they really said, I, you know, my friend Lamar Alexander said, you know, if Tennessee is ever going to get its, its economy moving, it needs to have better educated people. Yeah. And Jeb Bush was saying the same thing in Florida. Absolutely. And Dick Riley was saying the same thing in South Carolina. And I could go on, actually, um, in that vein. There's not much of that today. Um, moreover, at the federal level, after a succession of, quote, education presidents, um, which I think it's fair to say um, ended with Obama, to be fair to him. Um, but I think we went through two Bushes and Clinton and Obama, all of whom were gung-ho about yep. national education leadership. Uh, we then went into Trump, who could care less about this stuff. And then we are now into Mr. Inputs in the form of Joe Biden. Let's lavish money on the schools. Let's go to universal pre-K and universal community college and right. zillions and quintillions of dollars. And we're not going to worry about what's coming out the other end. Yep. And giving uh, teachers a much bigger say in what's going on in this administration versus earlier ones. And that concerns me because it, they're really, um, I'm currently in Virginia and uh, a candidate for governor here, Terry McAuliffe, literally, I don't know if you saw what he said last week, which is parents shouldn't be telling schools what they should teach kind yes. of thing. It's like, we have gone so far afield of how, you know, what the basic definition is of public education. Uh, it, yeah. And it's, it concerns me. Well, let's disempower the parents. Let's put the teachers in charge, whether we do it through school board elections or through federal policy. Yeah. Um, let's worry about inputs. Um, let's not worry about outcomes. And um, it's not entirely partisan either because the, the, the 
um, the, the leadership that I was talking about, the, the affirmative reform leadership was bipartisan, yep. uh, and the neglect is bipartisan. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to point fingers at a party. I really think that the, I don't know, the wind has just gone out of the sails here. And uh, really um, we have a Republican supermajority in Missouri, and there's no appetite for school choice. We passed one, we sort of had charter schools in our two urban areas and their punishment. So we don't have them anywhere else in the state. And then we passed an ESA program, which is great. It's very, very limited. And I think mm -hmm. there will be some push to either sue or, you know, take it to the courts or something. Uh, it's very small. But for the most part, the uh, rural Republicans in Missouri do not want to stand up for parents when they need the support of the local teachers unions. Well, we had a better story this past year in Ohio because I've just finished editing a memo for our board meeting uh, from our Ohio team. This, the, the, the House worried about school finance and fiddling with the formula, but the Senate worried about school choice. And they ended up making a sort of a grand bargain in which a whole bunch of school choice programs were strengthened, uh, even as the basic school funding formula was also uh, fiddled with and, and enriched, I should say. So they, they ended up with um, more vouchers, more eligibility for vouchers, more, more places to put charters, um, and ESAs and other things, that more than, and credits, uh, even more than we had before. So it wasn't bad. That's uh, impressive. Maybe you want to move the Show Me Institute to Ohio. Well, you got the Fordham Institute doing a bang-up job there already. All right. Uh, okay, I'll take know. that. We'll I do. I, you know, speaking of which... Um, I shouldn't bring it up because I'm not as well versed as I think, but I did see a study of Ohio test scores that someone really dug in at Fordham yeah. and uh, is trying to like take apart what really happened with Ohio test scores last yeah. year. Um, we have not had a similar, again, we don't have a similar um, will to do it, but we haven't done a similar analysis here. I think that was using NWEA maybe or something. Yeah. Growth. They, had, um, they, they were, they had two sources. They had NWEA data um during the year but they also had the um available we're just now getting actually in various forms the end of year state test uh data for the kids that were able to be tested um that which obviously is not everybody it's not no. going to be a uh, it's not going to be everybody but um the group of charter schools in ohio that uh, fordham is the authorizer for i was just looking at their numbers and um, sadly, their achievement and growth scores on the state tests are pretty, pretty bleak. Yeah. Even our better schools. I mean, even the ones that had a really strong record before COVID. Uh, yeah. uh, not looking good. This was just a disaster for kids all over the place. Yeah. OK, so now we know what we need to do. Right. So now we need to roll up our sleeves. We need to look hard at those numbers yes. and not turn the page over and try to avoid them. I mean, like we need to look more than ever, you know, I think. You, I do too. You are so right. And I mean, uh, internationally, we're not exactly, you know. Uh, well, the international data, uh, whether you're looking at the, the two main indicators are international tests, one, one called PISA um, and the other called TIMS. And they, they both show the U.S. sort of in the middle of the pack, uh, not getting better um, and looking pretty weak at the high end. I should also say the number of kids who get into the high, high scores uh, is much smaller proportionally much smaller in the U.S. Uh, than in a lot of other countries, which is a worry if you care about future intellectual leadership. Yeah. Uh, it is also a worry if you care about, I'm going to call it the excellence gap, it's equity at the high end. Will tomorrow's inventors 
and um, theoreticians and uh, scientists look like America or will tomorrow's scientists uh, just look white and Asian? Yeah. Um, and that's a problem at the high end. We have a big excellence gap also. Yeah. Uh, and that goes back to well, a lot of stuff, but but including the crummy elementary and middle and high schools that an awful lot of poor and minority kids go to. That's right. And we have a lot of rural high schools. We have a lot of very small high schools, at least 100 with fewer than 50 students, like very Ooh. small rural uh, a third of our high schools don't offer calculus or physics. And the the idea that, you know, this um, rose colored glasses, that it's just, you know, we love them. They're our community centers. They're the heart of our town. But the kids are going to have to join the world with kids who went to, you know, yeah. strong suburban high schools. And it's just not OK to think that that's going to work going forward. Once upon a time, if those kids stayed home in the small town that where they grew up and either were farming or running the general store, maybe they didn't need calculus. Um, but if they want to move to the big city and compete in a tech industry um, and compete against Czechoslovakia and Singapore, they need stuff that they apparently aren't getting in those schools. And maybe not everyone needs calculus, but I bet there's at least one. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've, there's yeah. future engineers and pilots. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that is that is a very frustrating yeah, thing to exactly. do. Um, okay, well, I you know, I hope that a lot you know a substantial number of states will take it seriously this spring, and yes. not be afraid to look at this stuff. Um, you know, yes, I'm going to force people to kind of look at it in Missouri, whether they want to or not. But I hope that we do not use this as an opportunity to water stuff down more. That's not well, going to. The risk is the risk is clear and present. I'm afraid, and uh, um, and and truly worrying. You've got plenty of things to worry about in Missouri. By the way, just parenthetically, um, we at Fordham recently did an evaluation of of every state's uh, academic standards for civics and U.S. history, I saw that. and Missouri ended up getting a C in both subjects for both subjects. So, uh, if you want to worry about something else, also. Um, besides basic achievement, worry about whether your state's own expectations uh, for these two key subjects of civics and history are where they ought to be. It looks to us as if they're not. Right. I, yeah, I, I think I wrote about that. That's that's right. I don't I don't know. I, don't, I feel like we need to get some really strong leadership. You know, there are a couple of different groups of state superintendents. There's chiefs for change. And then there's the Council yes. of Chief State School Officers. Yes. I feel like we need someone to come in and, and really churn things up. But um, yes. Well, I, I wish you well. Thanks so much. And thanks for talking to me today, Checker. I always appreciate your opinion and uh, all the stuff you write. So thanks so much. Nice to see you again. All the best. All right.